We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stango. Hello. Hi. How are you doing on this shreddy shreddy Midwestern day? I'm all right. It's weird to be recording and wearing contact lenses, because I yeah. typically don't wear contacts. Yeah, well, normally we're doing it first thing in the morning when you're like... I just rolled out of bed. Same. <laughs> just rolled out of bed, have not had coffee yet. We we do the really fun text Sunday morning, you up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You up to record. It's like, yeah, give me five minutes. Let me let the dog out and make some coffee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because the second you wake up, the dogs are like... If I don't pee and get mm-hmm. fed in the next 20 minutes, your day is going to be bad. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm going to ruin everything. Yeah. All right. This week, we are going to be discussing Sin Eaters. Like the anime? No. Soul Eaters? You're thinking Soul That's Eaters? close enough. <laughs> that was close. I knew what you were talking about when you yeah. said it. I was like... No, no people turning into death scythes. Okay, now I'm thinking first thought for soul sin eaters. Sin eaters, yes. Is like a really weird traveling salesman Christian circus thing. I mean, it is a weird Christian circus, but it's not a traveling salesman. So we'll get into it. Okay. But half of that was pretty much right. I'm going to eat your soul. <laughs> Eat your sins for five peaches, and if you and if you also buy this vacuum, <laughs> if you buy this this really fancy Japanese knife set that can cut a phone book that doesn't exist, time, I will absolve you. Of, I will eat all your sins for five easy payments of twenty nine ninety nine. These Ginzu knives slice and dice. Great for amputations. <laughs> Great for amputations. Your servants will love them. <laughs> Increase your, your servants' productivity <laughs> by 28%. Rated number one by good housekeeping. Act now, and I will also absolve you of all your sins. <laughs> present and future this is a limited time deal as my horse has not stopped moving <laughs> it is rolling out of town <laughs> I can't wait <laughs> alright I think I might have been one of these people in, in a previous life it just comes naturally 
A sin eater or a traveling salesman? (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. Sin eating was my side hustle. There you go. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2021 History of Yesterday article. 2018 History Collection article by Trista. 2018 The Vintage News article by Domagov Valyek. I am sorry. I 100% know I said your name wrong. Yeah. But I tried. <laughs> a 2017 Atlas Obscura article by Natalie Zarelli. 2017 Inside Hook article by Will Leviff. 2013 Gizmodo article by Keith Veronese. 2010 BBC News article. Atlas Obscura. Second History article by Declan Hennessy. Shropshire church's tourism group website and wikipedia nice and links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes i think we can all agree that bread is delicious (laughs) unless you're celiac yes (laughs) they didn't have those back then well they they did it's a, the spicy delicious. No one talked about it. <laughs> Danger delicious. <laughs> Danger dough. But would you eat it if it meant you'd be committing a host of sins? Such was the life of a sin eater, a figure that was popular in the rural areas of the United Kingdom, specifically Scotland, Wales, and England during the 18th and 19th centuries. So that would have been the 17 to the 1800s. Yeah. During this... Go ahead. Just a bunch of rogue people in the woods <laughs> in farmlands being like, listen, I'm risking it all eating this bread. I'm gonna risk it all. Eat, eat, <laughs> eat, eat. The <laughs> old eating contests were a little more risky. <laughs> Instead of winning $100, you gambled your soul. (laughs) Don't forget to dunk it in water. You can eat it faster. (laughs) It's it's union wine to try to balance it out. (laughs) During this time in history, as a person lay dying, the family would place bread on the chest of their loved one and call for a sin eater to sit in front of the body after they had passed. It was their belief that the bread literally soaked up the sins of the departed. And as the sin eater ate the bread, they were in essence taking on all of those sins so that the deceased could enter heaven. But why? Yeah, like who came up with that? Yeah. What what kind of plague fever dream (laughs) turned this into existence? So you may be thinking to yourself, well, they got paid, right? In bread. <laughs> they did, but it was chump change. Back then, they earned a measly four English pence, which today would be the equivalent of just a couple bucks. But a free meal. During this uber-religious time in history, the only people who would dare take on such a frightening job were the exceedingly poor, whose desire to eat and have something to drink far outweighed any concerns they may have had regarding their immortal soul, even if it meant being treated like a leper or worse. Great. 
Great. So instead of being heroes, they were trash. Pretty much, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all knew what Grandpa Grandpa Dave sins, all right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give him more than a couple bucks and a slice of bread. Yeah. I should point out that this practice wasn't used at every funeral, although it was done at a fair few. Sin eaters were called in when the dying or deceased was unable to confess their sins prior to their death, or weren't or couldn't be given last rites. Those who employed sin eaters were seen as Satan worshippers, heretics, and even blasphemers, which is why this practice was usually done in the home away from prying eyes. Got it. So you couldn't really admit it. Yeah. That you did it. Yeah. Yeah, like you wouldn't go out being like, yeah, I totally called Paul to be a sin eater for us and gave him some bread. But it was kind of like a known thing that people did it. You just didn't want it to get back to the church that you did it. Yeah. You know, okay, so offshoot, thinking about the bread, I hope, one, it wasn't actually touching the physical body that was dying. Like, hopefully it's like on a blanket (laughs) or a shirt, (laughs) something like that. But like, how cool would it be if like it did work and it turned into toast before they (laughs) ate it? Like the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cooked cooked with their sins nice and toasty full of sins <laughs> like their soul toasted it when they flew out from hell and into heaven yeah <laughs> toasty yeah. bread they they escaped the fiery the fiery depths of hell thanks to that piece of bread i like that i want a yeah. cartoon of that yeah who needs a toaster when you've got sins <laughs> <laughs> Sin Eaters, the original toaster. (laughs) The custom, which started as early as the 1680s, was written about as an old funeral custom that survived into the early 20th century. In the book Brand's Popular Antiquities of Great Britain, which was first published in 1813, it details what the Sin Eaters' responsibilities entailed. And here is an excerpt. Quote, The Sin Eater sat down facing the door. They then gave him a groat, which is a coin worth four pence, which he put in his pocket, a crust of bread, which he ate, and a full bowl of ale, which he drank oft at a draught. After this, getting up from his stool, he pronounced with a composed gesture, the ease and rest of the soul departed, for which he would pawn his own soul, end quote. Oh, so it's like tradesies. Mm-hmm. Oh. But not necessarily because if they keep going back and forth and they keep eating other people's sins, they're not going to give their cursed soul to somebody yeah. else. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just going to get more cursed. Yep. The full prayer that would be recited by the sin eater is said to be as follows. Quote, I give easement and rest now to thee, dear man. Come not down the lanes or in our meadows. And for thy peace, I pawn my own soul. Amen, end quote. And I'm sure the verbiage changed if it was a woman or a child, obviously. Yeah, that's unsettling. Like It is unsettling. If you had to, if you had to say that to get a meal every time. Yep, yep. That would, that would start to get to you. Mm-hmm. The God-fearing people of the time who hired sin eaters wanted to subvert the consequences of theirs and their loved one's sins. 
so they adapted their own moral beliefs to make them someone else's problem. That sounds like something rich people do. Who doesn't love the idea of being able to enter the afterlife free of all their sins, right? Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. That happens. It's not, it's not like somebody died for it. Yeah. Wink, wink, Already. nudge, nudge. They made a book about him. Yeah. A couple of them. There, there were a few, a few chapters about him. Yeah. I hear he's popular around the world. Yeah. The first book was a doozy, but the second book... Yeah. Things changed a little bit. The second book was more, more of a horror film. Yeah. So even though the Sin Eater's job was one that was in high demand at the end of one's life, you were still essentially homeless and treated like a social pariah. Regardless of how poorly you were treated, you were still expected to attend every funeral and wake that you were notified of. That's awful. Yep. Because you would, you would hope that if somebody is essentially kind of becoming a martyr of sorts mm-hmm. for an entire village of people, that you would treat them similar to like a martyr when they passed or like made their lives comfortable. You would, you would it's think not, that, but it's, it's like not. the exact opposite. <laughs> That's awful. In fact, just as we've heard in the past time and time again regarding witches, or folk healers, as they really should be called, (sighs) the services of sin eaters were usually acquired discreetly if the funerary services were being held in the home. And once the job was done, they were often quite literally chased out of the deceased home. A sin eater could often find themselves abused and beaten for their troubles if they didn't leave fast enough. Wow. Another reason that sin eaters were so important is that it was believed they helped to prevent the sin-ridden dead from returning to the mortal plane as ghosts or spirits. And vampires. Yeah, or zombies. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, due to this, they were often shunned because of their association with evil spirits and witchcraft. It was said that the wooden platter that would be used to serve the food to the sin eater... Mm -hmm would later be burned to prevent the sins from spreading. I was just going to say, they probably threw it into the fire. Yep. And it was extremely bad luck to look a sin eater in the eye. That's why they would have them look at the door. Nice. Classy. In a sad twist, it was believed that the sin eaters themselves would come back from the dead, returning as a restless, wandering spirit as a result of all the sins they had absorbed. Cool. Yep. So not only did they suffer greatly in life, but they get to continue to suffer in death. Yep. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Great. The origins of this bizarre and I would argue barbaric practice are unknown, but many scholars initially believed it came from older religious traditions such as paganism. However, in her book Death, Dissection, and the Destitute, Ruth Richardson noted that she believes it came from a medieval custom where prior to a funeral, nobles used to give food to the poor in exchange for prayers for the deceased. That's messed up. Yeah. That's real messed up. Yeah. Like, hey, my my sister died. Here's some bread. Can you you pray for her, please? Yeah. I'm not going to give you money. I'll feed you. No. But. No. I'll, like, throw you some food. The idea of this practice springing from the Middle Ages has merit, as many Christians struggled with the concept of purgatory, 
which is where it was believed you would go if you had unrepentant yet forgivable sins that you were unable to address prior to your death. In fact, prior to the Protestant Reformation, the church would sell indulgences, essentially allowing you to buy forgiveness for your loved one who is potentially sitting in purgatory waiting to be let into heaven. Okay. So, yeah, we, we've we heard time and time again of, like, everybody always hates on the Catholic Church for it being more business-like back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is... This is not doing well with their rap sheet in general. Yeah. That... This is not adding to your cause. No. Yeah. This idea isn't that far-fetched, as rituals involving symbolic breads, which came to represent the souls of the dead, became common in the 18th century. It also became a bit of a slap in the face to the poor when it came to the Catholic holiday of All Souls Day on November 2nd. An example of this was noted in 1712 by antiquarian Henry Curzon regarding the villagers of the English county of Herefordshire. Quote, they hired poor people to take on them sins of the deceased, yet also piled cakes in high heaps on tables to honor their dead loved ones for All Souls Day. End quote. Nice. An essay on sin eaters was written by Ingrid Harris, in which she states that the Protestant practice of sin eating could have been used as a way to reclaim the lost sacraments from its Catholic roots. She noted that many sin eaters wouldn't just eat the bread to absorb the sins of the dead. They would also listen to the confessions of grieving families. However, this practice was not supported by the church or sanctioned, as bestowing human power over spiritual events would be considered an act of heresy. Yeah, I mean, especially if they wanted to kind of maintain that power and that kind of control in Mm -hmm. general of like, we are the only people that you should, that are, you know, strong enough or godly enough. Yeah, wise enough to be able to help you. In the book, Funeral Customs, Their Origin and Development, Bertrand S. Puckle wrote, quote, It was the province of the human scapegoat to take upon himself the moral trespasses of his client and whatever the consequences might be in the afterlife in return for a miserable fee and a scanty meal, end quote. The practice in the UK primarily took place in an area known as the Marches, which is land in the area of the England-Wales border, as well as northern Wales and in parts of Scotland. You're probably thinking, why bread? It actually makes a lot of sense if you think of the fact that in the Catholic faith, bread is viewed as the literal body of Christ, or the Eucharist. And if we look at the Old Testament, or the Torah, the practice of sin eating may have biblical origins as well. In Judaism, rabbis would use a goat as the physical manifestation of the sins of the Jewish people, and it would be released into the wild during Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement and the most solemn and holiest day of the year following Rosh Hashanah, or the Jewish New Year. As it was written in the Old Testament, quote, He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. 
the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Leviticus 16, verses 21 to 22, end quote. Hmm. I mean, I'd rather it be a goat than somebody who doesn't get paid enough and is barely fed and treated like crap. Yeah. It sounds like they respected the goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had more respect for the goat than they did for the sin eaters. Yeah. The practice of sin eating was not overlooked by local priests whose job was to coax the soul to heaven and perform the funeral ceremony unattended. During the time of sin eaters, they seemed to be taking this power away from the church. And as the centuries progressed, their role in the funeral process lessened until the act of sin eating had virtually disappeared by the early 20th century. Anyone who performed any sort of ritual outside of the church would have been excommunicated at best or find themselves tortured and killed at worst. Great. As if your life didn't suck enough. Right. Even though this became a common practice, it tended to be performed at the deceased's home away from the eyes of the church, as I have said a couple times. Yeah. Honestly, that, that kind of makes sense, too. If you think of, like, rural communities, if they were, if they lived far away from the, their church or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if the church is a town away or something. And they felt like they needed help Mm -hmm. assistance in wales specifically the county of monmouthshire many funerals were attended by a professional sin eater author catherine sinclair who wrote about them in her 1838 travel log hill and valley didn't have many nice things to say about the practice i bet not yeah quote a strange popish custom prevailed in monmouthshire and other western counties until recently. Many funerals were attended by a professional sin-eater, hired to take upon him the sins of the deceased. By swallowing bread and beer, with a suitable ceremony before the corpse, he was supposed to free it from every penalty for past offenses, appropriating the punishment to himself. Men who undertook so daring an imposture must all have been infidels, willing, apparently, like Esau, to sell their birthright for a mess of pottage, end quote. Yeah. Pottage. So I feel like the, the, the ratings on yield glass door for that position would be pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Little to no benefits. Yeah. yeah. Many viewed sin eaters as people performing distasteful tasks, each time becoming more and more evil. This viewpoint continued in literature, where sin eaters were always viewed with contempt, A 1920 poem features Morgan, who was, quote, gaunt, ghastly, lean, and miserably poor, end quote. Heaven forbid. They were later found dead, looking as if they'd been struck by lightning. Oh, great. Yep. Another account of sin eating was written in The Mountain Decameron in 1836 by Joseph Downs. This collection of fiction, verse, and folklore is one of the earliest references of sin-eating and includes the following tale. Quote, In the early 19th century, a lone traveler found himself lost in the evening near Kors Folkno, a large peat mire by the village of Borth in Cardiganshire, Wales. He soon came upon a cottage, and as he came closer, he heard the sounds of wailing inside. Soon a woman came out and cried a name to the top pitch of her wild voice. 
Looking inside, he saw a corpse of man with a plate of salt and upon that a piece of bread on his chest. The woman was calling to another man to eat the bread that lay upon the dead man's chest, end quote. You know, just another Sunday night. Yep. And you might be saying to yourself, well, why couldn't the sin eaters just go and confess their sins to the church to absolve themselves? Probably because the church would immediately have called for their execution for yeah. performing funerary rites that went against church doctrine. Yeah. That's pretty much going to the police and saying, hey, I stole a bunch of stuff. Can you return it for me? Yeah. You cool? They were the ultimate scapegoats with nothing but poverty and condemnation to show for it. Cool. In a fun and surprising twist, the practice of sin eating actually made its way to the United States via immigrants, primarily in communities in Appalachia, where it has since survived in legends about nomads who traveled the back country looking for dark and powerful sins to absorb. Ooh. That's what big, that's why Bigfoot's so big. Yeah, he's just eating all the sins. He just gets a little bigger with every sin he eats. The last sin eater on record was a man named Richard Munslow, who brought back the practice not because he needed the money, but due to his own grief. Richard was a wealthy and successful farmer who lost four children, with three of them passing in the same week from scarlet fever in May of 1870. George, who passed on April 11, 1862, at the age of 11 weeks, Thomas, aged 3 and 8 months, James John, aged 6, and Elizabeth, aged 1 years and 7 months. Many believe his grief led him to revise the practice of sin-eating to help his children pass on. Richard himself, who was the last known sin-eater in the UK, passed away on April 23, 1906. His wife, Anne, passed away on August 8, 1913. Following the deaths of their four children, Richard and Anne went on to have two more, Mary Ann in 1873 and Annie in 1876. Over a century later, in 2010, Richard's death and service was commemorated in a ceremony in Rattlinghope, Shropshire, after 1,000 pounds was raised so his grave could be restored in acknowledgement of his place in British history. Hmm. Inscriptions on the Munslow Monument read as follows. On the east face, it says, In loving memory of Richard Munslow, died April 23, 1906, aged 73 years, thy will be done. On the north face, In loving memory of Anne Munslow, wife of Richard Munslow, who departed this life August 8th, 1913, aged 77 years. Thy purpose, Lord, we cannot see, but all is well that's done by thee. On the west face, in memory of four children of Richard and Anne Munslow, of Upper Darnford, George died April 11th, 1862, aged 11 weeks. On the south face, Thomas died 1st May, 1870, aged 3 years, 8 months, James John died May 2nd, 1870, aged six years. Elizabeth died May 7th, 1870, aged one years, seven months. And on the north face said, Jesus said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And that is the story of sin eaters. Sad. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it was very interesting and i think yeah i think emily sent me a link about this a while ago i'd already had it on my list but then when she sent it Mm -hmm. to me i was like oh yeah i haven't covered this yet i should look into this more so thanks emily thanks emily so yeah don't trust bread that people try to serve you off of somebody's dead body that's all i'm saying yeah yeah i wouldn't yeah but i guess beggars can be choosers (sighs) this is true unfortunately Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I've often struggled with gut health and proper nutrition, which made me wonder what sort of vitamins and minerals I may be missing that my body really needs. With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. I drink my AG1 right away in the morning as a great way to get my day started. As someone who suffers from food allergies, I appreciate the fact that it's so lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Not only that, but the subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D which is so important, especially in Minnesota where I'm from, where we don't get as much sunlight. For less than $3 a day, you can invest in your health. That's cheaper than a daily coffee habit. If you don't want to take my word for it, check out the over 7,000 five-star reviews that Athletic Greens has received. It's not just about the fact that I'm taking better care of my body. Athletic Greens is a climate-neutral certified company that gives back as well. For every purchase they receive, They donate to organizations that help supply nutritious foods to children in need, including No Kid Hungry. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, so, did you hear about Jen Shaw? No, I didn't hear about Jen Shaw. How about Erica? Did you hear about Erica? Mm, I don't think so. What about that fraud shit from the other day? Uh, can you be more specific? <laughs> There's so much fraud out there and so much shenanigans. You should just tune in to Book of Lies podcast. Book of Lies podcast. Every week we talk about some fraud, some scams, and maybe even some TV shows. Where there are scams. Yes, of course. Scams. Frauds. And all those things. So tune in every week where we'll bring you a new topic of... Scams? That's right. (laughs) Scams. (laughs) So tune in on your favorite podcatcher to catch up on the latest liars, cheaters, thieves, and dirty rotten scoundrels. That's right. See you soon. Bye. This week's podcast plug is the Book of Lies podcast which is part of the Darkcast Network. Each Tuesday, Brandy and Sunny discuss real-life liars, frauds, fakes, and phonies who do nothing but 
lie. From Bill Cosby to Julia Hmm. Lyons, who posed as a nurse during the Spanish flu, each episode exposes people who thought they could get away with their lies and ended up getting exposed for the frauds and cheats they really are. Good. And we'll have a link to their show in the show notes. No soul eaters or sin eaters for them. No. No, ma'am. And we don't have any questions this week. So what's something good you'd like to share? Something good. Oh, I got another, I got a book I'm really excited to read. And lately, as one of my kind of decompression things I do during the week, is I like to read in the hammock on our patio mm. yeah. every night. I didn't today, and I probably won't pick nighttime this week just because of how hot and humid it's going to be by the time it's nighttime. Yeah. But it's been really, we've got like a nice, like relatively quiet street, and it's just been nice kind of swinging in the hammock and, and reading. A good little mm-hmm. escape, so it's something I've really liked doing, and um, I'm excited to start reading my new book. Nice. What about you? What's something good? So, the day we're recording is Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Happy Father's Day. And um, one of the things we did today, even though it was very, very hot out, like there were heat warnings, we found this, and by we, I mean I, I gotta take credit for it. I found this park that's not that far from our house. It's like a 10 minute drive Mm -hmm. and it's like 95% shaded. It's like all canopy. Mm -hmm. So we went to go check it out because we kind of wanted to go for a walk on the trails, get the girls used to walking again for when we go on vacation in a couple weeks. Right. And Thomas has been getting into RC cars recently. Oh, nice. We brought all three of our RC cars and we're kind of like, using it as a way to keep the girls entertained on the trail while we're walking, Mm -hmm. excuse me, while we're walking. So they're not complaining the whole time. As children do, especially in heat. As they tend to do. And I really liked this park because we never been before, but I liked it because even though it was really hot, like we got there at like noon. So it was hot. Yeah. But when you were in the forest, there was enough of a breeze and enough shade where, like, you really weren't that hot. Like, it just kind of felt like... Just a normal day? Just a normal, like, 70-degree day, like, walking That's outside. Awesome. So there were a few parts where you would cross, like, a bridge in this, like, open prairie-type space. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we spent the bulk of the time under the canopy. And there were a lot of different trails. I don't think we hit all of them. Like, in their entirety. I know we hit each of them in part, but we didn't go the full loop for each of them. Because they all kind of, like, connect back together. Okay. And it was a really nice park that's kind of put co-owned by some of the counties around us. Mm -hmm. And it's got nice little, like, nature markers that talk about the different trees in the area and the different animals that are in the area that you can keep an eye out for. Like, hey, this is Chipmunk Trail. There's a bunch of chipmunks over here. That's awesome. You know, so it was it was really fun. And I shared it with our Girl Scout troop and our Facebook group. And I was like, hey, if none of you guys have been here, you should check it out. Because even today when it was freakishly hot out, we were able to go and no one felt like they were dying. So, yeah, which is important. Yeah. And it's like tons of trails to explore. And there's 
it was really fun. So I'm happy that we did that. Found kind of a new place where we can go and take Kona for walks and stuff there too. And mm-hmm. I think she'd be fine and no one had ticks. So that's the moral of the story. That's the real. Yep. The nature trails were wide enough where you didn't have to worry about getting into the tall grass and getting attacked by ticks. So nice. That's awesome. So, yeah. And before I forget, I did finally go to our PO box when I sent out the giveaways that our May giveaway winners got. I finally mailed those this week and we got a lovely package from our friend Paige over at Reverie True Crime. And so she sent us a really lovely card and a bunch of stickers and keychains and some coasters. So I'll make sure you get your your copies of it next time I see you in person. So thank you, Paige. That was really nice. She sent us a really nice note. I'll have to share it with you. Thank you, Paige. I have no idea how long it's been sitting in the P.O. box. If it's been in there for a while, Paige, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I just... I just haven't been able to get to the post office recently. That's fair. Because I've lost track of time. Been like, oh, it's six o'clock. They're locked up tight. So. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's shut her down. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. You can find us on YouTube where we post all of our episodes each week. If you'd like to send us something in the mail to our P.O. box, which I just mentioned, (laughs) which I will be better about checking on a regular basis, you can send us something to Yield Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, story suggestions, animated GIFs. We love those. We do. If you have funny memes, our friend Elizabeth yeah. has been sending us some fun stuff to our emails. Nice. And I, I appreciate that. She sent us a really good, she's the one that sent us the um, Oregon Trail meme that I really liked. Yes. Yes. That was good. If you'd like to support the show, but you can't do so financially, which we totally understand, mm-hmm. a great way to get the word out is to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and leave us a rating on Spotify. And this week's review comes from Podchaser from our friend Matt over at Anime Talk. And he says, awesome content. Gotta love hearing about some of these crimes that the world has forgotten or may not have known about in the first place. Awesome job, ladies. Can't wait to hear more. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee for a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month or... A great way to support the show and a great cause would be to head over to our Tee Public for the entire month of June. All proceeds from our merch sales will be donated to the Church of Prismatic Light, which is an LGBTQIA plus focused religion that values the true self. It's a great cause. They're really active on TikTok. If you want to learn more about them, we'll include a link to their website in the show notes. Highly recommend, even if you don't purchase any of our merch, go out and support them directly. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.